I just love I just love these people, and and uh, they're, they've been such an encouragement to me, and and uh, their friendship has meant so much to me, especially particularly the last several years here. And uh, so we're just thrilled to have uh, Reverend Robbie Coleman and his wife Tommy with us today. Let's give them a great welcome. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. I just love this church, and Tommy and I are feeling uh, at home the more we come, and I wished I was better at learning names. My grandfather used to say to me, he would say, son, as you get older, he said, look people in the eye when you talk to them and call them by their name. And, uh, but I have, I have fallen so short about doing that, you know, I look people in the eye, but uh, remembering names is difficult for me, and I, but every time we come here, we pick up one or two more names, and are very thankful for that. When I hear people like your pastor talk about the game, I assume the Super Bowl is today, is that correct? It's, that's embarrassing to say, I never have, I never have kept up with any of that, but I have uh, over the radio over the last couple of days, I've heard a lot of talk about Super Bowl, so I assume it's today. I hear a lot of talk about this lady, uh, this lady Taylor Swift, and uh, I, I, just by listening to news, I'm wondering what does she really do? I mean, why, why is she is she the modern day Elvis or what? But uh, but anyway, I. I'm so glad to be here with you and that you have come out on this rainy day to hear the word of the Lord and to, uh, and to hear what we could help you with about understanding what's going on in Israel. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to have three segments. Um, the first segment are going to be an introductory remarks, the second segment we're going to show you some uh, slides and a, video, a couple videos, very short, about some hands-on things that are taking place in Israel right now, and we're involved in, in all of that. And the third segment, I'm going to uh, pick up with what you... I'm so glad you reminded me about the red heifer, because I, re, I was thinking, I know he told me to come back and finish something, but what was it? So, so I'm going to pick up on that, and my wife will make sure I don't forget it. Uh, sometimes I forget things so badly, it's, it, it gets quite embarrassing. I'll, I'll be in a sermon, and I'll say, I'm going to tell you that in a little while, and then I forget what I was supposed to tell. But that's the three areas we're going to deal with this uh, morning. A little word on a subject, an introduction, the video, not videos, but some Things on the uh, screen, and then after that, we'll go right to the Word. The Lord is doing a wonderful, wonderful thing in Israel. They're going through some hard times. Zechariah said that in the last days, we would see a couple things take place. Zechariah, the prophet, he was a very holistic prophet. He saw the good and he saw the bad. And a lot of, a lot of times... We, we get hung up on one or two things. We, we only want to talk about the blessings and the goodness and all of that. 
but then others, all they want to talk about is the judgments and holiness and we're far from God. Both of those messages need to be taught. Oh, okay. Good, one, two. <clears throat> Both of those issues need to be dealt with, okay? But we, and we don't need to just stay on one side or the other. So, uh, Zechariah was that holistic prophet. You know, uh, Amos was kind of that way. Amos was doom and gloom until the very last few verses. And then when he gets through with the very last few verses, he ties it all in by saying, but God's going to restore you. He's going to put you back in your land. And when he does, after all of the judgment, put you back in your land, no one will take your land from you again. So that makes it all, that just, that one little phrase wraps it all up for me. Zechariah was the same way. Zechariah sees a time that's so good that the nations would flock to Israel to the point that they would grab a hold, Zechariah chapter 8, they would actually grab a hold, 10 Gentiles would grab the hold of one Jewish person in Israel, saying, let me go with you because you are of God. You have the word of God. That is taking place today. There's so many people going into Israel, uh, even with the war going on, so many people and Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, that word simply means not Jewish. It doesn't mean anything bad. It just means they're not uh, naturally a Jewish person. So many people from the nations are going to Israel that even during the war, okay, now, right after the war started, that was a very dangerous time to be in Israel. And so Israel kind of turned into, uh, or Jerusalem, and where I live, turned into kind of a ghost town. But now that that has, war has actually become a, a daily thing that you just live with in Israel. They're not really doing tours per se, but a lot of people are just going there. So even during wartime, there are Gentiles saying, I just got to be there. I just got to pray for Israel. I just got to stand foot on that land and I'm not worried about my own safety. It's quite amazing and it is speaking to the Jewish people. Uh, they, they will look at us sometimes and they will literally cry. And the Jewish people are kind of stoic. They, they don't show their emotions very much, or at least the religious ones that we work with in, in Israel. But they will cry and they will say, why are you here? Why? We have to be here. We have to be in this danger. Why are you coming? And then I'm able to share with them that I'm a Christian and that God has placed a love in my heart for not, for not only me, but all Christians. We have such a love for Israel, and we just want to stand here and say, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And they cannot understand why we're doing that. So we, we are the ten nations grabbing the hold of the Jewish person, saying, let us abide with you even during wartime. So Zach Zachariah saw that happening, but he also saw something happening. 
And he said that in these days, these same days, others are grabbing, much of the world is hating Israel. Anti-Semitism is getting extremely, extremely greater and greater. And so many are doing that, that God said to that prophet, he said, I will make Jerusalem a, a stone. And all, all will come under the heavy weight of it, a heavy stone. He said, I will make them a reeling in the nations. In other words, constant problem. Just this last week, I was watching Fox News. I heard Juan Williams. You know, Juan Williams is on Fox News, uh, which I think they still carry somewhat of a, well, that's debatable, but somewhat of a... Um, conservative viewpoint, but Juan Williams is not conservative. He's very liberal, and I think if you've ever watched that, you know. I enjoy listening to him, but he's not nothing conservative about him, very liberal. But Juan Williams made this statement about Israel. He said, the facts are this, that Israel will always have problems, and any time the subject is around Israel, it will be a problem. It will be a hardship. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit grabbed me inside and said that even the liberal newscasters are preaching the gospel right now because he proclaimed Israel would be a reeling in all of the world, in all of the nations. And so that is happening too. And so I want to tell you that um, along the lines of, as your, as your pastor was talking about the giving, uh, Tommy and I have that attitude, and we don't say it to be pious. We say it to be actually truthful about the giving. Uh, there's a few churches I go into, and I say, please, Brother, your church helps us so much. Just let us go in and give something to you free of charge, no offering or anything. And uh, your church is one of them. I mean, you support us on a regular basis, so it's only right for me to come here occasionally and to give you an update because you've already sown into our ministry. But Pastor David feels like, and I'm, I appreciate him for that, feels like he wants to bless Tommy and I. Uh, personally, so I'm thankful for that. But one thing that brought me to to uh, to that attitude, and it is an attitude with me, is the over 30 years that I pastored. Uh, one of the things I struggled with from time to time was when evangelists would come in. The people sometimes, well, often the people wouldn't see it and know it, but. There'd be times I just kind of had to wrestle with that evangelist during revival, during services, wrestle with him because he was wanting to just beat my people down financially, you know, and get as much money out of them as possible. And there's been several that I have pulled to the side and I've said, listen, you know, uh, my people love you. They're responding. They're giving good. You don't need to worry about the offering. You let me handle that. And and one guy, I finally said to him, we were having a week revival about the third night. I said, listen, I don't appreciate what you're doing to our people, pushing them beyond measure to give. I said, I'm the pastor. When you leave here, you'll be glad that you came. So leave that alone. 
And I said, I've already asked you one time. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you if, you, if you start browbeating them about finances again, I will shut the revival down. I said that to him because it, 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 it had gone to that extent. And I, uh, so when I make statements to you, someone that please don't give or feel like you have to give, it's for that reason. I know what this man's under. I know, I know all that he has to juggle. So I want him, when Robbie's coming, to coming, I want him to say, wow, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to relax, I'm going to learn the Word of God, and, and we're going to have a good time together in the Lord, and him not have to sit in there twiddling his thumbs about, well, the people gave for this project last week, and this, that project, the week, I can't keep asking them to give. I want, when I come here, I just want to love on you, because I owe it to you for one thing, okay? I owe it to you, and um, so... Uh, that's kind of why I take that attitude. Now, dealing with giving, I want to tell you something about giving to Israel that I need you to understand. I see, and I think I may have said this, so I'm going to say it real fast and move. I may have said this the last time I was with you. There's three, three things about giving that you need to understand. How should you give? Three gifts. Number one is that compassionate giving. Now, this compassionate giving, you get a lot in return for it. It's when you help the poor, okay? You lend, uh, you're lending to the Lord, the Bible says, when you give to the poor. And, and so when you give to the poor, it's like casting your bread upon the water, and it comes back many times over. Luke 6 and 38 says, Given it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. That, when you give to the poor... Just out of generosity of your heart, God opens up something that's great, and you you then get to be blessed. Uh, you get to be. I can't tell you how many pastors has said to me that Robbie, we feel like we are blessed. Uh, the church I was in last week in South Carolina, they said we feel like we're blessed because of what we do for Israel. I heard John Kilpatrick say last night, Church of His Presence in Daphne, Alabama, he said, we are so blessed for what we give to Israel. Pastor Jensen Franklin told me this. He said, Robbie, I think we are blessed at Free Chapel during this season for what we're doing for Israel. So I hear it a lot. I praise God for it. That is a general giving. Anytime you give, especially to the poor, that opens that up for you. Then there is the covenantal giving. That's bringing your tithe. And in the, when the system of tithing was set up, it was mostly used. People say a lot of times it was used for the church or the synagogue. In all reality, most of that was used to sustain the ministry, to sustain the priest and his household so that he could be free to, to minister to the saints on a weekly basis rather than going out and work. So much to the point that there was a fine uh, stringency placed upon the ministry, upon the Levitical priesthood, so that when they reached the age of 50, I'm not saying it's that way now. We're under grace, and God gives us long life and all of that. But even in the Levitical writings, the priest, he retired at 50. Yeah. At 50 now, man, your pastor has passed that. 
you know, for a little while. But uh, we do it now. We do it now not to get by. We don't. Do, he doesn't do it for financial reasons, like I don't. But we do it because of grace, grace and extension of years, and grace and and giving us good health, and we feel good. And and and. But God wanted them to bring the uh, tithe into the storehouse so that that man of God could not only get by, but he would get by well enough that at fifty he was able to turn it over to the younger person, a person, and now he would be kind of like maybe an apostle or a teacher to that pastor. But then there's another thing that we want to look at uh, in, in uh, our giving, and that is giving to Israel. Why do you give to Israel? I actually don't like to hear people showing these sad videos about, uh, a lot of times you see them, and I'm not going to call any of them by name, because even those do a good work. <clears throat> but a lot of times they'll say, we want you to give, and they'll show maybe some uh, elderly lady, and she's not clean, and she has she drab her clothes or drab and falling off of her and, and she has nothing, a little tin can. And they said, won't you give? Don't you want to help this person? And, you, you know, and appeal to you. Listen, if you, if you want to give to Israel, give in the, in, because of the poor there. Don't put it in that category. Just simply give because they're poor, and then you will be you you will reap because you cast your bread upon the water. But it goes a little further with Israel. I never ask people to give in Israel because of the poor. I've I've, I've traveled all over the world, and I find I find. I really don't find a whole lot of poverty in Israel, to be quite honest with you, especially among the Jewish people. So you say, well, quit giving, Brother Robbie. No, just realize there's another principle in the word to give to Israel. And what is that principle? That principle is that you might line up with prophecy. The Bible tells us that in these days that we should comfort the people of God, the people that have been so beat down through so, you know, uh, Jerusalem itself has been raised time and time again. In other words, the word raised meaning to be destroyed time and time again. In the Holocaust, so many were destroyed. Hitler literally believed that he could wipe out this entire people group. He really believed that. And honestly, came close to it, dangerously close to it. So, but when you give to Israel, you give because you want your family to come under the uh, blessings of being within that prophetic mantle. And in these last days, brother, you better be under that prophetic mantle. Now, I wanted to share that with you. So when you give to Israel, don't say this is going to feed some poor little person. You can do that, but the best blessing of giving to Israel is to say, I want to help them and comfort them. Before I left the house this morning, I got a call from Israel. A fella, David DeCrutman, texted me and says, call me right now if you can. So I knew he did it in the night, and he knew when I got up, I would see the message. I call him, David, what's up? David shared with me how that uh, uh, the IDF has uh, petitioned his group 
uh, the Isaiah project, and we've given to them a lot of times. He says, uh, Robbie, I need you to help me with a wire transfer. He knows that Tommy does a lot of wire transfers. He said, I have maxed out on what I can do. He said, I give you my word. We'll put a check in the mail to you today, but I can't legally do any more wire transfers. He says, if I send you information, will you send it from your ministry, and then we'll uh, replace it within two or three days. And uh, I said, oh, David, yes, yeah, sure, you know, we'll be glad to do that. As I hung up the phone, I felt a prick in my heart that the Lord wanted us to not only cover his wire transfer till he could get the money to us, but the Lord wanted us to do the project. So uh, I didn't say anything, and I didn't want to ask Tommy, because if I ask her anything about giving, she says, yeah, give. You, you got uh, $200 in the bank, and honey, do you want to give $500 to this? Yes, I think we should give. You know, it's, it's a given with her. So I didn't ask her. I didn't ask her, because I knew what she was going to say. But I walked through there, and I said, okay, we're, you're, you're going to do that transfer. She said, yeah, but I don't think we're supposed to get it back. We're just, I think we just need to do the transfer out of our account. I said, okay. I kind of felt that way as well. It was agreed upon. But before we left the house this morning, Zion's Bridge was able to send $18,500 to Israel to help to help the IDF to fight their battle, to protect their people. Now, that doesn't come under the category of, of, of giving because they're poor people. That comes under the category of prophetically, we have a part with it. Prophetically, City on the Hill Church, you have a part with it. You're comforting the people of God during their time of battle. And I'm telling you, that's being written down. Now, because of that, the pastor wanted me to share this with you as well, so I'll make it very quick. Uh, we, uh, this organization I just told you about, they are also redoing this park. I can't remember the name of it, but it's right down on the Gaza Strip border. It's the one uh, where a youth concert was going on, and three, over 300 youth were killed that night, and many were taken into hostages. There are many of the hostages that were taken into captivity. And so uh, this brother called me uh, week couple weeks ago and he said we're rebuilding that park he said it will be the monument for the second holocaust that's what they're calling this war the second holocaust it'll be the monument anytime dignitaries come to israel and they want to know about the invasion from gaza that's the park we'll take them there'll be a big monument there we want you to help us rebuild that and we're going to put your name on it well the lord prompted me to not give to that so I says no no we 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 have our we know what we want to do and focus call me back for other things but no I don't really want that he says Robbie this will be the only monument I want Zion's bridge name on there for years and years to come he says y'all have helped so much I want your name on there and I says well I no I don't feel right about it and so I told him that. But when, when we agreed to give the money this morning, he said to me, 
He said, Robbie, whether you like it or not, the, the monument's going in and your name's going to be on the monument. Okay? So I was able to obey God, but still, I want somewhere along the line, I want Zion's Bridge name to go till Jesus comes back. That the enemy tried to destroy Israel from this point, but God built up a, a, a wall and protected them, and part of that wall was this little group called Zion's Bridge. So I want a monument there, and, but I didn't want to pay for it. So God did that. I wish I could put David Harrison and City on Hill Church name on there as well because uh, you guys, I feel like, do so much more than Tommy and I does, to be honest with you, because you catch such a good vision. Okay, Miss Tommy, if you would come here, and we are ready to show you some things that uh, we have been involved with, and I wanted to show it the last time, but uh, time got away from us. But uh, you start out, babe. That was in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is about 30 miles from the border, the Gaza border. Uh, you can't imagine. See, they were shooting rockets toward Jerusalem, and that's what you're seeing. However, the uh, people that lived on the border, they were not getting rockets going over them. They were being attacked directly uh, through motorcycles, cars, Humvees, uh, people actually on foot. Uh, what did you just paragliders? All of that going right in the kibbutz. And this is this is a kibbutz and uh, 1,269 murdered in one day. And we could show you tons and tons of pictures, but it's, I don't I don't want too much of that in your mind. Yeah, go ahead to the next picture, and we'll show one more. Okay. Yeah, even every home has a, a bomb shelter, but you're not supposed to lock, put a lock on it in case you were to need to be rescued. But that worked in the favor of the terrorists because they were able to uh, many times break in. And the former slide that you saw was of a home where they had broken in. The bomb shelters, that those of you who have been to Israel, you know that you just go, in, you just go inside. It's very, there's no locks. So bomb shelter after bomb shelter, particularly close to the Gazan border, the terrorists were able to go in and just shoot up everyone within. So in this case, the bomb shelters were not a help. It was actually a holding place until the terrorists were able to come in. So at, at this case, uh, a bomb, bomb shelter is a wonderful, it's a great thing to give to because if there are shrapnel falling, it will be your protection. You can go ahead. And Zion's Bridge, because we don't have a, a big board, a large board, uh, we can very quickly move money. So Robbie called and said, this is an immediate need because in Israeli law, you do have to cover the body within 24 hours. It's, it's a respect for the dead. So immediately, they they, no, they don't embalm. You want them in the ground in 24 hours. Of course, many of them uh, are still on ice being identified, but we were able to immediately get money wired in for body bags. Go to the next. 
And the Palestinians rejoiced. We're going to keep going because Robbie's got a lot to say. And stop on this one. All right, just take a look at this table because this is a display. It's still up in Tel Aviv. Each place setting represents one of the hostages that were taken in. Um, as of today, there are 31 that are uh, confirmed as dead, that the families have been notified, you know, that they are ones who were taken into Gaza have actually been confirmed dead. It's a speculation that probably all the, of the 132 that were not released are probably dead. But uh, Pastor and I were talking this morning something that the way the Lord has put on my heart, if there are some still remaining, that there would be someone who would take sympathy, a Gazan family to take sympathy and lead the captives free. But you know, if could be like with Peter and an angel show up and lead them out. But there's going to be, there's going to need to be a divine intervention. So don't quit praying for those who are still held captive. To the next, one of the, or all of them that were released, the ones that um, spoke of their release. Now we set, see a picture of a beautiful table, but the table to the right and then also over here to the left the food that they are being given to eat are is rotten food. The water, they describe the water as being just That's muddy. Nice That's, That's muddy water. So how can someone survive the number of days on being given this to eat? So that's that's the severity. Keep going. And you need to tell about this. This man's name is Hirsch. We were called about the fifth day of the war. And um, we were not dealing with actually housing anybody at that point. All we were doing was trying to rush equipment, helmets and coats and body, uh, body armor and body bags and food. But right in the midst of that, I received a call that um, uh, from a group that says we have got to get people out of the, the that live on the border. Now the uh, kibbutz were evacuated, of course, immediately. But if they were not in a kibbutz, if they just had a house out away, away from the kibbutz, they were not evacuated. And we began to find out that those people were actually living in bomb shelters, okay? And someone called me and says, we, we're gearing up to do that next. We're going to start bringing these people out of the homes and trying to put them in hotels and places because everything else was taken. And I said, uh, well, we'll be glad to help. They said, well, we need some help right now. I, they said, we, we've got... Uh, and that night, they took over 100 people out. We helped with many of them. But this was one great story. This guy is over 80 years old. He was there when Israel in 48. He was there in the Six-Day War. He fought in all those battles. Six-Day War, he lost it. He lost his eye. That's why he uh, has a patch on his eye. And uh, But they said that uh, he... 
when we got him and we put him in the hotel for a couple of weeks to calm down, but he was having, uh, what do you call that, P.S.? Yeah, from the previous wars by hearing those bombs over and over. Uh, this guy, well over 80, he, and he didn't mind. If they'd give him a gun, he'd fight again in this war. You know, even though he's in a wheelchair and can't see very good, he, he'd be glad to fight, but he couldn't sit. His, the devil was playing games with his mind. He's about to have a nervous breakdown. So he was one of the first that we brought him in. This was outside the hotel and I interviewed him for this, and he was uh, he 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 was he just re- really wanted to be involved. Right. We'll keep it. We'll go a little bit faster for the rest of them. The next one you're going to see is an army unit just thanking. So go. Hello, Sarbak. Mahagastai from Pluga Bet of Gluj Shvatalafinvishesh from Golani. Want to say thank you very much for the vest. You're helping us do our job and protect the country of Israel, and we've never been prouder more to do it. Thank you so much, to the Isaiah Project, for sponsoring these vests. Thank you. That was for their best. Keep going. Keep going. All right, we've got one hundred and thirty-five units of deodorant, shampoo. And protein bars, warm weather clothes, these are actually thermal clothing that are going to a unit in Gaza. Praise God. Um, we were able to supply them and thank you so much to Igor and his crew for getting it ready so quickly um, on demand at the last moment. Amazing. So excited. You here in village Yanukjat, there are Adruz uh, in the north. And what are you doing to help them? Uh, I'm uh, a manager for Association Atal uh, organs this. We help other in uh, many village. Uh, we help uh, everybody and uh, I call you uh, to gather to help uh, there in this village. Uh, please, you're welcome. Good. And Rafi, thank you very much. And. Uh uh, I want to say also to the people that provided all of these coats, look at them. Hold one up, Robbie. They're going to help people. To help soldiers. To help soldiers. In these Yanukjah. are in Anukja. Yanuk. And Anukja. This village is a Druze and yes. uh, we help we help Druze and Jews in this uh, Druze and Jews and uh, there, a lot of people don't realize it, but much of the IDF soldiers are Druze. And no, here Druze, and we help a Jewish. You help the Jewish, we, okay? The Druze. The Druze. The Druze are helping the Jewish because you love you love, love Israel and you. Yeah. The Jewish is love Israel. Love Israel. Love, uh, love us. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, my uh, friend. Thank Robert. you. Yes. I have come here today to represent Zion's Bridge. We're going to be partnering with the Isaiah Projects. They're doing great works. You, you people have already been giving. Lotan is here today, and he was at Berry. This was probably the first story that you read about when the Hamas terrorists went into this kibbutz and destroyed so much of it. There are about a thousand people from that one 
kibbutz that are here. So many were killed. Friends, every one of these know friends that were killed during that time. Otai, would you just come and tell our people that want to be a part of what you're doing? How, what happened that day? Where are we now? How can we say? We have something like 130 people for our kibbutz, members, families, friends that got killed, and also something like 30, 40 hostages. We need to rebuild our kibbutz. We need to rebuild our education system, kindergarten, high school. We need to have the mental care for our population, for our community. We are dealing here with situation that we have families that just fell apart, kids without parents, parents without kids. We need your help to rebuild our community and it's everything you can do now because we need to rise again. This man here is helping us uh, know where the needs are and get uh, supplies to them. He's doing a good job and uh, they're actually in He's representing only one segment of that particular kibbutz, kibbutz Beri. Uh, there's 1,200 inhabitants in the kibbutz. Um, he said there 130. I thought it was more than that. 130 were killed, and then many over 50 were actually taken hostage. And uh, it was terrible the way they went in. His wife, actually, I interviewed his wife. You know, I'd like to show that to you. I actually have it on my phone. If anybody wants to see it, just ask me and I'll give you my phone. But this, his wife was talking to her parents as they were being slaughtered, okay? And they were screaming and she tried to tell her mom what to do. And then they actually set them on fire. So she remembers that being the last thing she remembered. These people were uh, sadistic. And I think I told a lot of that at the last time, so I won't go into any more about how bad that it was. But um, you are making a difference. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, I don't want to reiterate, but in chapter 23, the last verse of chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus looked and he wept. He stood on the Mount of Olives. He wept looking at Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together as a mother hen would have gathered her chicks under her wings, but you would not. He said, henceforth, you will not see me again until you, or who? Jerusalem. To you, Jerusalem. We'll say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he came then, and they didn't say blessed. They didn't recognize him. They didn't bless him. They didn't accept him. So he said, you won't see me again until you are recognizing me as your Messiah. Zechariah said they will recognize him, and they will weep for him they pierced. So that is future, yet to take place. That will take place. So uh, Matthew 23, he says, there's going to come a time you will accept me. Then he goes into uh, chapter 24 and he talks about hard, perilous times that are coming. He talks about the tribulation period. Then when he gets to Matthew chapter 25, he talks to the Jewish people about what they need to do to be ready. One is, 
He said, I want you to be a servant. The first part of Matthew 25, he talks about the, the lazy servant and how that lazy servant is going to be thrown in the outer darkness. He then talks about the ten virgins. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. What do the virgins represent? Not necessarily Christians, you know, but they represent those that were cloaked in Christianity. That's where they were, why they were referenced as virgins. Ten virgins, some of them true, some of them cloaked in it. Maybe like nominal Christianity where people look so religious and they wear a certain garb and all of that, but yet they don't know God. Because he goes on to say these five were ready, they were filled with oil. Oil is symbol of what? If you want to go to be with the Lord in the rapture, you better have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you need to be filled with oil. So some were filled with oil, some were not. Those that were not wanted to take from those that did. And that's not going to happen. You have your own chance. You have to stand on your own two feet. So they were told to not be lazy. They were told to have their vessels filled with oil. And, and then they were also told to, uh, uh, he goes on now, one more thing there, I forget what it was, one more thing. Oh yeah, the talents, he said, use what you have, your talents. In this case, it was money. He said, give your money, your talents to the Lord. Don't bury it, don't hide it, don't waste it. So we need to, right up until the end, we need to, whatever God's given us, we need to give it back to him. So those are the things he said to them to do. Give, give of your substance, don't be lazy, and keep your vessels filled with oil. Then he goes in, in more spe- uh, specificity, how you say that. He goes into it by saying, and I will bring, in that chapter 25 and verse 31, he says, then when the Son of Man comes, 2531, when the Son of Man comes, in his glory, and all the angels with him, um, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, now he's talking about the nations. He's talking about judgment. End of time, now looking at judgments. And he says, some of you are going to be judged as a sheep nation, some as a goat nation. I think I dealt with this before, so I'm not going to say very much. But the bottom line is, He's saying to the goat nations, I needed help. I was in prison. I didn't have anything. And you didn't help me. You didn't come to see me. You turned a blind eye to me. And then he says to the sheep nation, you helped me when I needed help. And who's he talking about? He uses the word brothers. He says, we, they said, when did we do this? He said, as much as you have done it to the least of these, Delphini, which means womb brothers. We come from the same womb. A lot of people use that scripture, and as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I know that y'all feed people here on a regular basis. That's one of the strengths of City on the Hill Church. You feed People And it's appropriate to quote this scripture when you talk about feeding people because they're God's little ones. But in the most direct context, that's not what he was talking about. It does apply. 
It's very appropriate. But he was actually talking about his people, the Jewish people. Here Jesus speaks prophetically. He speaks prophetically. He says, my people, my blood brothers, wound brothers, are going to come to a time that they're going to be imprisoned. They're in prison right now. My blood brothers are going to come to a time when they're going to be hungry. And they're hungry now. You saw the table. They're going to be thirsty. And they are very thirsty now. And if you, he said, if you don't help them, it's a serious thing. See, in the Holocaust, we, we turned a blind eye to it. But we didn't get the, we didn't get the terrible judgment. Why didn't we get a terrible judgment during the Holocaust? Why didn't the Christians, the world, get a terrible judgment? They did not receive a terrible judgment after the Holocaust because it was a prophetical moment to launch them into statehood. It was, it, John Hagee said this, it was because, and I agree with him, it was because of the Holocaust that there is a Israel today. The world's sympathy surrounded Israel after they began to find out what happened during the Holocaust and they made a state out of Israel and the world out of sympathy gave it. God used that. But now we're going through what is historically being called the second Holocaust. Okay? It happened and there were more Jews killed in October the 7th than at any time, any single day since the first Holocaust. So we're in what we're calling the second Holocaust now. So how does that word from the Lord, the prophetic word from the Lord, work now? He didn't totally annihilate people that didn't help them the first time, but he says this time, because there were things to follow. This time, the only thing to follow is the millennium. So if you turn a blind eye to Israel right now, while they're in prison, while they're being beaten, while they're being slaughtered, while their youth are being drugged from them, God says, you're not part of my kingdom at all. You can't do it and get by. I, you... How many of you know any Edomites? Do any of you know an Edomite? Uh, your pastor says they're gone. I can show you some Palestinians. I can show you some Arabs. I can show you some Indians. But I can't show you any Edomites. Herod was the last Edomite. You know, you know why we can't? Because when God was ready to bring Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, they needed to go through the land of Edom. And Moses said, "If we can we bring our people through your land? And the king of Edom says, you better not come through our land. You better not drink our water. You better not eat our vegetation. And because of that, a curse was placed upon them that they would cease to be. And your pastor just said, there are no Edomites. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, America got by because we were blind. We didn't have the television we had. 
And God had another plan to follow the Holocaust. But this time, this one, that's the reason I told you in, in Matthew 23, 24, and 25 is about the end time. When we get to the end time, and I believe we're there, I don't want to face God having turned my back to the Jewish people. When you at City on the Hill Church, you've seen the videos, you've seen the pictures of people laying in bomb shelters, and you've seen that, and you've decided you're not going to turn a blinded eye. We're getting close to the second coming. Very close to the second coming. So let me tell you right now some things happening in Israel. I have said for some time that the next big event would be on the Temple Mount. That is taking place right now. There was a move in the Knesset. It has not come up for a vote yet. But there was a move in the Knesset a few months ago where some Knesset members in Israel placed a move on the floor to divide the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is a 35-acre piece of ground where Abraham offered up Isaac. And many of you have seen pictures of it. You've seen the big golden dome there. Now, this, the, the, the move before the Knesset, now Israel has control of it, even though the Jordanians and Arabs in a de facto way have control of it, Israel has the legal right to it, and they won it in 1967. But when they won it in 67, they said, we retain the right to it, but they said to the Jordanian WAF, W-A-Q-F, the Jordanian WAF, they said, you take control of it, you keep it safe, and they set in motion what is called the status quo. And the status quo said, we own it, Israel says, we own it, but you watch it because that's your mosque, we don't want to go there and pray anyway, you control it, you keep it safe, and we Jews will not go up there and pray. Three years ago, the Knesset said, from now on, Jews can go up there, but they cannot pray. So from 67 until three years ago, no Jew would ever go on top of, of the Temple Mount. Now, uh, there's 100,000 a year that will go up there. And they don't pray, but you can watch them. Their lips are doing like this the whole time, okay? But they can't pray out loud. So that, had, that is becoming the next move. Now, the move that's before the Knesset says that uh, we want to divide the Temple Mount, 35 acres, a line go right down the middle, a wall to be built, and that wall will sit just east just west of that golden dome, okay? Everything to the west will be Jewish. Jews can go, they can build a temple mount, they can pray there. Everything east is still Jordanian, still run by the Muslims. Now, I, if, if somebody called your pastor tomorrow and said, listen, we are starting a Muslim uh, mosque in coming, and we'd like to use your church. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know, know for sure, but I think I know Pastor David well enough. He probably wouldn't give in to that, okay? He wouldn't want all those spirits in here, okay? 
Maybe if they let him preach to them first, he might consider something. But more than likely, that agreement wouldn't work. So people have said to me many times, the Jews will never ever give in to that and they will never even go up and pray there because it's desecrated. I feel that way. However, the Jews do not feel that way. They do not see that in the eyes that I see it. They don't see it as they believe that any other religion is basically nothing. Not good, not bad, just nothing, okay? And therefore, they don't see another religion being able to uh, mess up or desecrate the particular area. They just don't respect or, or have anything to do with it. As a matter of fact, they, they uh, point back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said in chapter 56 of Isaiah, he said that my, my, uh, my place, this mount, shall be called a house of prayer for whom? All nations, okay? Now, when I read that all nations, I'm thinking that means the Baptists can pray there, Jewish people can pray there, but I don't think about Muslims praying there and that being all right with God. I don't think God really meant that. But the, the rabbis, that is the, exactly how they feel they're fighting to put a division line, a wall up, Muslims on one side and Jews on the other side, Christians they don't really care about. You pray where you want to pray, it's not a big issue. And they cite that scripture because they say that scripture says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all ethos, ethos, people, groups. And it doesn't matter if they're Muslim or what. That's the way they look at it. I don't look at it that way. But my point is this. I have felt for years that would be the next thing that would happen. I've taken groups up on the Temple Mount. I said probably right about here is where sooner or later this mountain will be divided with a wall. Because Daniel chapter 9 says that... that there will be a wall built. The man of sin will approve of it. Whom? The man of sin, the Antichrist. He will approve of it. And, and that they, Israel and the man of sin, will sign an agreement. And halfway through the agreement, three and a half years... I don't have time to qualify all of that. You just have to go read it for yourself in Daniel chapter 9... After uh, half of the period of time is gone, it's called in the midst of the week, midst of that seven-year period of time. The word week doesn't mean week as we know from Sunday to Saturday. It simply means a segment of seven. In the midst of that segment of seven, a wall, the wall will be, the, the man of sin will break down that wall in other words, he will move to the Jewish side, to the temple side, and he will break it, and he will, he will sit on that throne that's in the new temple as though he were God. You know, he tried that in Ezekiel chapter 28, set himself up as God. So it's a precedent that has been set many hundreds of years before this time.
So that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been looking for. Until all of a sudden, a friend of mine calls me by the name of Byron Stenson. Byron is in Texas, very wealthy Texan cattle guy. He was in Israel, and uh, he, was, he was in the synagogue listening to the rabbis teach us. Uh, they teach us also, Christians, under, uh, under um, certain circumstances. He was there, and the rabbi said, we must have a red heifer. They went back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 says that the land must be purified before sacrifices can take place. So I said then to a Jewish person, I said, why don't y'all go ahead and do all of this and build the temple? He said, Temple's not an issue. We can sacrifice without a temple. We don't have to have a temple. Moses, a lot of people sacrifice without a temple. And so I said, well, what are y'all waiting for then? And he said, we're not going to make a single move until we can purify the land. How is the land purified? By what? The red heifer. The red heifer cannot be sacrificed on the temple mount. Even a heifer sacrifice can't be done there. It has to be done away from the temple mount. So Byron Stinson and this group, I can't remember the exact movement name, they have bought land on the Mount of Olives. They have set up a place to sacrifice a red heifer. Byron heard the Uh, he heard them talk and he said, wait a minute. All of this is waiting on a red cow. He says, I see them all the time. They said, yeah, this cow has to be perfect. You Texans, every time you have a cow, you put a branding iron on him. He can't have a branding iron. He can't have a, a thing going through his nose like they put through them or on their ear. None of that. He can't have a white hair or gray hair. He has to be totally, totally red. He has to be of a certain age. And they said, Byron, give it up. We have searched diligently the world over for over 1,900 years. There has not been a red heifer, a perfect red heifer, in over 1,900 years. Byron didn't accept that. He goes back to Texas and he sends five red heifers by plane to uh, Israel. And out of those five, three of them are still perfect. And now just in the last few months, they've reached the age of at least two years old, which means they can be sacrificed. The rabbis have inspected them and said, these three are perfect. They actually went to Texas and judged them there and allowed them to come to Israel. So my point is this. The next big issue is going to take place on the Temple Mount. There can't be a temple without a sacrifice to purge the land. Then when you get the land purged, which is that mountain site, then they can then they can make sacrifices of, of, of other animals and the goats and the lambs and all of that. 
And Byron has had a part of that, a good old Texan boy. Now, we can show you uh, uh, some information. We might share, Tommy, share it with Pastor David if anybody asks you, so you're a pastor. But do you all want me to tell you how all this ties in? This war? This war from Gaza is about those stupid red heifers. Okay? Because the Muslim are scared that if Israel ever gets back on the Temple Mount, that God will answer them when they pray. Okay? So when word got out, they have found the red heifers. They're now of age, which means they could sacrifice those red heifers at this next Passover. Well, they, I don't know. I'm sure, like in Israel, everything that can get complicated will get complicated. I'm not banking on it. And Byron is my friend, and he tells me, he says, Robbie, he said, they may do it this March, April. I don't remember when Passover is. Uh, is it, tell me when's Passover. It's in April? Past Easter this year. So your pastor think I should... Should have known that before I came to the pulpit. But in but that, well, he says the red heifer could be sacrificed this year. Byron Stinson, who provided those, working with, working, you've heard of the Temple Institute. That's the people he's working with. He's working, they're, they're, the Temple Institute also is part of the Sanhedrin. Yeah, I'm not Sanhedrin, but. When Daniel's prophecy came to pass, he dealt with Judaism, which means Sanhedrin, which means red heifer, which means temple. And all of that is coming to pass. And that's why the uh, Palestinians uh, tried to destroy Israel, is to kill the possibility of them going. That's why I've been, I've been going in and out of Israel over 40 years we have always felt safe in Jerusalem. Why safe in Jerusalem? Because, now, you might get stabbed or something like that on the street, but as far as bombs and atomic bomb or anything, like, we never worry about that in Jerusalem. But on October 7th this year, bombs came to Jerusalem. Why is it? They're so upset. They're trying to dissuade the Jews from ever offering a temple sacrifice again. That's what all of this goes to. Man. Okay, that's fine with me, Pastor. All right. Yes, that's fine. Good question. I think he has to come in the lineage of Zadok. But I, and I, I assume Tommy's better at this than I am. I'm, I assume to make any sacrifice has to be a high priest. Yes or no? The sword, well, part of the significance of the red heifers is that it's for the cleansing of the priests. The ashes of the red heifer is to cleanse the priests also 
And for anyone who has ever touched a dead body, that's the ashes of the red heifer. And they will keep them in a bottle. And when someone has touched a dead body, then they have to be cleansed by that. But the priests aren't even pure until that uh, sacrifice. Okay. Her, her answer was this. She's much better at all of this than I am. But her answer was that they can't. The priests right now are not considered pure because there has not been a red heifer since any of them are alive. So none of them are pure. And But his question was, does it have to be a high priest? Yes. It's they my understanding. Have they, have it, they have the lineage. You have no problem with that. Uh, and I think you were going somewhere with that question that I hadn't quite, quite picked up on. But to my best answer is yes, it takes a high priest to offer the red heifer. Yeah, they have it already. I used to know, and I, yeah, I still know some of the uh, high priests. There's a group of them, Sanhedrin. I know some of them. Did, did that help? I mean, okay, uh, anybody? Uh, well, it's not re- Well, I'm about finished. Uh, this thing is wrapping up. So much has taken place. I had lunch yesterday with Pastor John Kilpatrick. I know that's name-throwing, but... It makes me feel good to throw the name. And uh, and also a gentleman by the name of Steve um, Chocolati. I don't know why he pronounces it that way. It's not spelled that way. But he's written a lot of books here. A lot of people are reading from. I didn't know him, but uh, uh, very nice, very nice gentleman. But he's writing. He wrote a book recently where he dealt with uh, earthquake taking place uh, April the 8th, and he feels like it's going to unleash something prophetically. He wouldn't go online talking to the people what he felt like it would be, but privately, we, Pastor Kilpatrick and myself said, come on, go on the record, man, tell us privately. What, what, um, what do you think is going to happen on April the 8th? He says, well, I don't know. He said, I just know it's going to be big. April the 8th, when certain things line up, but uh, certain solar eclipse, he says, I feel like something big's going to happen. He said, I kind of feel like it's going to be some type of uh, civil war. And I don't mean like we had before black and white and all of that, but, you know, there is a fight going on in our nation politically. He, he says he... If he had to guess, now that's only a guess, he would guess it, it had something to do with internal turmoil. <clears throat> but uh, I, I was about finished, so that was a good time to answer that question. But my point is this. I want to bless Israel in these last days. It's so important. In that day, I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone. For all of the people, and all who will lift it will be severely injured, and all of the nations will gather against it. I don't feel like Tommy and I are doing as much as we should be doing to help the Jewish people. And probably you, some of you feel that same way. But I will tell you this, I don't, I don't put a whole lot of hope in a future in America as we've known it. Everything is changing. 
the Lord is coming back. I don't like using that word end of time because time itself won't end. You know, it's going to move on. I believe the rapture of the church is going to take place. If you're a child of God, you'll be caught up like Elijah did. Then the tribulation period will be, I used to say it's a time of judging Israel. I don't say that anymore because some of the Jewish people got my case about that. Uh, It will be a time of working with Israel, bringing them together. But as far as judgment is concerned, anybody that doesn't know the Lord will come under that judgment, Jew and Gentile. I don't see how that could last much longer. How this situation as it is could last much longer. And I want you to be ready. And one way you can be ready is pray for Israel. Love Israel. Your pastor gives you opportunities to give to Israel. That's good. That is, that is good. But more than anything, build them up. Pray for them. Your pastor every day prays for those hostages. And he will until they're released. When I made the statement, I feel like some of you are doing more than me. I think that is more, because I don't do that. I don't think about it. I will more now since you brought it to my attention. But whatever you're doing, ask yourself the question, is your brother in prison? Is your brother a hostage? Has your brother's family been destroyed? If so, are you giving them the support you can? That's going to help you to meet God when the time comes. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I feel your whole... My children, I have spoken to you this day from my heart that you might know that I have chosen. I have chosen my children not because they're better, but I have chosen them that they might be a light to the nations. And you shall help them. The world system hates them, but I see your heart. I will bless you abundantly. Those things you've been asking for for a long time, this is your time to call them in. Because I see your heart, and I see that you want to be a comforter to my people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. I bless you, Lord. The presence of the Lord here is very, very thick. Jesus said, if you take your gift to the altar and you have offended your brother, go to him 
and then bring your, your gift back to the altar. If you've made fun of the Jews, if you have judged them wrongly, ask the Lord to forgive you of that. And then greater and greater things are going to happen in your life. Hallelujah. Pastor, hallelujah.